the, the, the thought process is really tied into a um, two words of a targum. So it just it said it said it said in motion a thought process. Oz Yeshem Moshes Yeshem Asos Lashem, and then and the so the targum trying to translates this phrase Oz Yeshem Moshes Yeshem Asos Lashem Oz Shibach Moshe Neshabach Moshe Es Tushbach Hador. So the word shir is translated as a form of praise. Now the word shir doesn't necessarily mean praise. Shir means song. So why is the targum translating it into a language of praise? Because that's in fact what's bothering him is that shira. What exactly is the usage of this word shira over here? What exactly does it mean? We talk about something being a shira. The main point is not so much that that it's 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 a song. Is the point is that it, it was a praise. So he translates it. The main point over here is that it's neshabach tushbach. It's also of shabach, a language of praise. Okay. There's a beautiful piece from the the Hemek Dover in his, in his introduction to Chumash. It says that Chazal refers to the Torah as a shira. Um, so the the mitzvah in the Torah to write the last mitzvah in the Torah is to write a sefer Torah. The last mitzvah, the mitzvah Taryag, 613, is to write a Sefer Torah. And the is, You should write the Shira. Now, the Pashim Shah, the way the Chazal understand it, um, before Shim in the, in, in the Sifri, is there's a mitzvah to write the Hazinu. Hazinu was a Shira. It's written in the, in the, in the form of a Shira. Shira is written in in in, in the in not in the regular prose columns, but there's a special way you you write a shira. The shiras are written in special format in the Sefer Torah. Hazina was a shira, um, but since we have we paskin that you can't write um, one part of Torah, you have to write all of Torah. That which we write Torah in Chumashim, the Gemara Gittin says, is only because. People needed to learn from Chumashim, and writing a full Sefer Torah every single time would become prohibitive. So Chazal remarked that we could write a separate Chumash. But Betzim, we hold that the Torah, that, that you're not allowed to write the Torah in, into, in separate sections. You have to write the whole Torah. So if you have to write Hazinu, you have to write the whole Torah. So that's how you know you have to write the whole Torah. So it's a little bit of a, a, like an interesting way to tell me the mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. So it's like, you know, I used to have a Rebbe says, you know, you can scratch your ear by going like this or going like this. You know, it's more logical that you should scratch your ear directly than going over your head like this. You know, like, so you, you want to tell me you should write a Sefer, you write a Sefer Torah. It says, with consent, you have to mention the right to Shira. And the Shira, like, like, you know, tell me you have to write a Sefer Torah. Like, so obviously the Torah is saying that the Nakuda of Shira means there's something which is relevant from Shira to Kol Kula. So the Having uh, ever translates the word shir is actually is not a song; it's a it's a poem. And the point is not simply that it's sang, as opposed to the idea that it 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 it, it has elements of poetry. So it says, "What's the between poetry and prose? Prose, in general, is written. You write what you want to say. Poetry, many times, is t- tends towards the idea of using allegory, using metaphor, using s- similes, using." Uh, references to, to using a short phrase to express a, a, a great concept. So that, that's the Nakuda which is, which is 
which is not unique to poetry, but that's a common thing you find in poetry more than you find in the world of prose. He says, so a shira is a short poem which contains a very large thought in it. The Torah is a shira because even though the Torah seems to be, we can read Torah as a prose, but really there's a, there's a much greater thought which is there contained in there as well. So it's important to refer to the Torah as shira because instead of just looking at what you have in front of you and taking that as the final message, it's a, there are allusions to something beyond that. Um, I shared with you once a, a thought from from Reverend Cutler, and uh, where, 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 where so he takes this thought to the following question. Okay, so th- there is a medrash in Parshas Nosa which says that all of the Torah is just simonim. Says means everything in the Torah is is really a, a simon for something greater. He says, "What does that mean?" It's it's it's. So he says like this. He says, "Just like you look at you look at a, a land carta, you look at a map, in the days when people used to look at maps, right? And you know you would you would have a circle represents a city. So the city isn't really a circle, right? It's not necessarily shaped as a circle, but we understand that this symbol represents something much greater than what what there is in front of you. I said, well, oh, uh, a circle, you know? Like, no, 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 it's not a circle. This is a, it's it's a big circle. Means you know, like the Atlas used to have, like you know, a little circle, a bigger circle, a circle which is filled in, circle is filled in with a ring, ring around it. So so this one has it's a it's a big circle with a ring around it. Means that it's a city of over a million people, etc. So all this is a circle. All I all I see is a circle. But my, I'm told that it represents much, much something much greater than itself. Okay, so I, I, the way I explain this idea that the, that the, that the marshal that Rebaran said, I, I told you once that um, when when Gifta was in Telstone, so he was there for a period of two years, uh, close to two years, and one time. Uh, he had named Rameir Shapiro, not the, the Rameir Shapiro from Lublin, who was left already well before that, but he named Rameir Shapiro came to, to speak. He had learned in Tel's yeshiva under the Alta Tel Zerub. Gifter went in 1933, the Tel Zerub had been in 1930. So his son had taken over, the Grai had taken over, but the Maril, Rav Bloch, was this person that learned under Rav Yosef Leib. He had a very well-known son named Rameir Shapiro. So... Uh, so he once asked Rameir, this Rameir Shapiro was still alive at that point in time. The, the, they, were in, they were in Telstone from 1977 to 1979. And then Rameir was in 1979. Actually, his Yorzeit was, uh, was, was uh, on Tuesday, Gimel Shvat. So Rameir was in and then the stayed till the end of summer's month, and then he came back to America. So Rameir Shapiro came to speak one time, and I heard this before. I wasn't there, right? There was a, the Chabura. The Gifter went with the Chabura Bukhara. When they came back, so the, the, my, my, there was some of my closest Chabura, but that Chabura. So one of them told me the following story, that Rameir Shapiro came. He said over a Misa from Rameir Shapiro, you know, a conversation with Rameir Shapiro. And the reaction of the conversation was that the Bukhara said, I don't understand what he's talking about. And the Gifter said, Gishmak. So, okay, so what what was the conversation? The conversation was like this. Somebody asked the Rebbe Yosef Leib, 
that there's a machlokes in Sefer Yom, we have machlokes between Rakim and Rotarfin about the seder of the Veda of the Kargol and Yom, Yom Kippur. Different sets of the procedure, how they, what goes first and what goes second. So they asked Rabbi Yosef Leib, I don't understand. Right? You say, you say, but how's it Shaykh? Moshe Beno was there. He came to Harsin and he told Aaron to do one way. He didn't give Aaron a choice. Moshe Beno knew exactly what to do. And he told Aaron to do A before B or B before A, one of the two. So only one of them is right. So how is it Shaykh? That was the question. So Gersav Leib answered, again, I'm warning you, because the gift is said Gishmak, and the Bokram said, I don't get it. So I'm going to try and explain it. But, but if you don't get it at first, at, first, at first, you know, first iteration, don't feel bad. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm, and if you get it, I'd be very impressed. But I, so he said, he said in Yiddish, obviously, but he, said, he says, but he said, what do you think? Aaron the person, Aaron Akayin and the same and the, and the same Torah, the same Aaron Akayin? That was the answer that he gave. What's the means to Aaron Akayin the Mensch? Aaron Akayin on the Torah, and the Zelba Aaron Akayin? That was what Rabbi Yosef Leib answered. So he gave this, ah, shigishmak! And the Bokhman said, huh? So I want to be Masbrit. What, what he's saying? Imagine you're a multi you're, you're a multi you're, you're not a billionaire, you're a trillionaire. You're not a trillionaire, you're a multi trillionaire, and you have a lot of money to burn. And you want to do something interesting with your life. So you decided you want to make a map, not stop a map, you want to make, make an extraordinary map. You want to make a real life map. So you decide to buy, of the United States of America. So you buy Pennsylvania. You buy the state of Pennsylvania, right? Nice state. And you bring in uh, tremendous amounts of, of machinery, bulldozers and cranes, etc. And you shape Pennsylvania in the shape of the United States of America. Then you raise mountains corresponding to where the Rockies are. And you put rivers in where the, where the Mississippi is. And you raise the... And, and you end up with something which looks like America. And you bring in bodies of water, etc. Then you build cities to scale. You know, so it's a 1 to 20 scale. And you build a Chicago, and you build a Los Angeles, and you build a San Francisco, and you build the cities. Then you take people and you, and you minimize them, and you stick them into those... Into those the, right? And you put the right amount of people into Chicago, and into Los Angeles, etc. So now, there's a real Los Angeles... Well, I'm not sure which one was the real one, anyway. But there's the real Los Angeles, and there's the this is this little Los Angeles, and there's people living their lives inside there. Now they're going through life not knowing that they're really a muscle for a bigger something bigger. They're living their life, and as they're living their life, they're representing something bigger. So it's possible to live in two planes of existence. So Aaron Akayan is a person walking this earth, and he's representing something bigger. But Aaron Akayin in, in the Torah is not limited to Aaron Akayin the, per, the person. Aaron Akayin the person is a marshal. He's a poetry. He's a shira. He's a he's a simon for something greater than himself. His physical physical reality. Okay, that's how I understand what the, what the Gersh Leib was saying, and I think that's the, with that this medrash. That, so therefore, with even though and the physical person is acting one way, but, but the Torah's description of that. When there are multiple interpretations of that, they're not limited the way the physical guy walked. Because he's not, he's just a dogma of what is in the Torah. He's just an expression. The real one is what's in the Torah, not him. We live the world backwards. 
Right? That's that's how I understand what the, what the, what the, what the labor is saying. So so let, let's take it like this. So there's a there's a gorgeous thought from Rafutner about the meter called Das. Right, the Karach of Das. He says, because I'll say, if, if you don't have Das, Havdolah Minayim. So we say Havdolah because Das is the Karach of Havdolah of differentiating. But what it says that the, the process of the differentiation actually requires a different process called, which he refers to as Havshotah, undressing. Malbish Arumim being Mavshit. The person who's, uh, who's, who's dressed and getting undressed. He says, what does that mean? Right? So let's let's take a physical muscle. Right? I, I told you the story with the gift about you know the, the gra- gravity. Right? So Newton is contemplating the fact that items fall. So that's a physical reality that he's seeing in front of him. And from that fact, he realizes that there, there's there's something greater behind it. There's a force which is behind it. So he's taken the reality which is there, which is really gravity, and he's un- he's taken out of its physical muscle into something bigger than its b- bigger than the muscle. So he's He's taken off the cloak, which is cloaking it. That's the Lashon Havshot. That's what it refers to. So there's this phenomenal called gravity, and I see it in the in the context of things falling down. But reality is, it's not necessarily falling down. It's an attraction between two bodies, which is irrelevant. There's no you don't need up and down for that. What happened to me in the scenario where it's me against the earth? The earth is a much larger body, so it's 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 going to go in that direction. It's not limited up and down. So I've been mafshed it. I've I've, uh, I've t- I've, it's, it's being cloaked in a certain reality. I'm taking off that, that that cloak and seeing it in its true glory. Right? So far, so good? Everybody with me? Yeah? Okay. So that's the Kayak of Das. So he says, so once you do that, when you do that, to, 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 so I can differentiate between A and B because I see them in their true form as opposed to in their phys- in, the, in the specific phys- physical reality, they might be seem to be fairly similar. But if I, once I mash it into its true components, that we can find re- what the real difference is. Okay. He says, the, tr- the, the Bershom gave Das for us to understand that this world is really a stepping stone to something bigger than beyond it. So the Karch of Das is allow us to look at the world and not see the world as, as the final reality, but as a muscle of a greater reality. Says when a person takes the karach of das, and he uses it in an extraordinary way, at the end of the day he still remains in the physical world. It's a misuse of the mile of das. So I amafshit the karach of gravity from the fact that items fall. I understand it's a force, and now I can explain the movement of the planetary bodies, etc., etc., etc. At the end of the day, all I'm doing is I'm explaining physical things. Right. If I would take that and understand that that that's a, that, that if if, that, if this would be true, I would say that, you know, let's say that for argument's sake that, that it represents the idea of the the Russian created a concept of attraction in this world, and the purpose of attraction is allow us to connect to Kadosh Baruch and, allow, and it allows us to therefore be able to remain connected to Him even beyond the physical reality. So then I'm taking it, I'm being truly being mafshed it, I'm truly being mafshed out of its limitations of this world to something greater than than, than that. If I stop and it ends in this in, a, in a this worldly function, I'm not truly being mafshed. It's a it's 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 a false perception of das. It says this was the challenge of Yavan. This is what Yavan did, and at first glance it looks like you're doing das, which is something which is very attractive. But reality is 
it stops short, very short of what we're supposed to be able to be doing with the Karkov Das. says, and that's why it, 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 was, it was so attractive, because it seems to be you're using the Karkov Das, so that's because it was, it was very scary. It was a darkness, because at the end of the day, what it does is it left it being cloaked. But it's a scary darkness because it's a, it's a, it's a it's a you think you really have found the reality when you really you haven't. That Atkan is tight and that crackle. That's a phenomenal understanding. What is the vehicle which allows you to look at this world and see the world as something greater than itself? That's called tarot. And that's why Torah is referred to as a shira. Shira is that we look at, so, you know, the muscle which the, 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 um, all the care people use when they, you know, getting these, you know, well, it says this, he says, let's say you, you know, um, uh, the czar had, had written a decree to, to kill out all the, wipe out all the Jews. So writes there in the, you know, in, the, in the, a, 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 a poet wrote at the time, wrote at the time, he says that, he drowned all the jewels in, in, in a drop of ink. Now, obviously, he didn't drown anybody in a drop of ink. But with his act of taking a drop of ink and signing his name, he destroyed all the Jews. See, he drowned them in a drop of ink. That's how you would write it in the world of poetry. But obviously, it means something much, much way beyond what the words, uh, the, the, the marshal of a drop of ink is conveying a message which would be way beyond itself. So, the world, everything which we have in this world, is supposed to teach me that there's another world beyond it. It's supposed to be a muscle for something greater than itself. The the the, the Russia put in something in the world which reminds me that, that that's the reality, tells me what it is. He gives me a, a little bit of an understanding how to be mapped this world, not see that this is the primary purpose, but this is only a, a vehicle for something greater than itself. So, it's a, therefore, in, from that vantage point, a person does does a seemingly seemingly insignificant action. In reality, it's much greater than that. Uh, I think I shared this thought with you once. I, I, had, I had this thought one time. Um, uh, there was a book on yeshiva. I don't know. He, he, he tended towards being depressed, etc. Sweet boy. He he used to like these little these little like short poems. So I was in CBS. And next to the counter, that check counter, they have these little magnets with like you know a little poem on it for like a dollar. Now, now probably now it's probably more expensive than a dollar, but then you know it's a dollar or whatever. So I picked one up for a dollar and I gave it to him. You know, I gave it like wrote him a little note and I gave it to him. And plus, I put a smile. The guy, he put a smile on his face. And I walked away and I said to myself, you know, what just happened? A dollar is a very physical thing. It's it's in many ways we use money to represent the epitome of Gashmias. I spent a dollar and I changed it into the world of Ruchnius. I changed it into something which is which is limited and it has an it's finite into the world of eternity. I I, I, I impacted an Ashama, I, I helped somebody, I changed them a little bit. And that's there forever. So this little dollar that I it says we live in a phenomenally beautiful world. And we live in a world where you can you can take something which is finite and make it infinite, something which is limited and make it eternal. It's an extraordinary world that we live in. That was the re- reaction I had to that. You know, there's there's a a, a witty 
a witticism that the belt says. You know, they, 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 says the belt says the gan, the belt says the gantz belt is a marshal. So, you know, the belt says the real the whole world is really a marshal. Says and the nimshal is kasev. The nimshal is money, right? That you know the 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 wittiness is in the bottom line. Everything is about money, right? That's like you know how, how we function in this world, right? So uh, the Torah says no. That's not what it's about. You know, yes, we we would tend to start seeing everything in the world in the in, in, in a sense of what benefit is it is for me, what 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 power do I get out of it, what time do I get out of it, etc. It's everything in the world becomes a vehicle about something more this worldly. Reality is it, it represents something way beyond it. So that's an akuda of shira, which the Torah is. Everything in the, in the, so the life that, that, that the, the people which are living in the Torah, and the life which we're living, if we only see it as a finite reality, we are misunderstanding what it's about. But what reminds us, or what gives us the tools to think like that, is the Russian revealed that there's another layer. The Zohar does this trend, in Kabbalah, there's, there's a tremendous amount of this in Kabbalah. Right? Um, I shared with you the story about my my father from uh, Chicago, his name is Rabbi Rakach. He's the rub of the Sardi Shul over there. Um, two Rakharusas and Tells together. So he told me a wild story. So he's a Ben Ben from the Maisa Rakeach. He's from, from, from Tunisia. The family's from Tunisia. He's like 24 generations back to the Maisa Rakeach was a Pirish on the Rambam, one of the, 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 the Sardi Chachamim. He says that all of the generations were Chachamim. His father became a physicist. Instead of being, becoming a Chacham, his father became a physicist. His father was quite learned, like, you know, in the area of Kabbalah for sure. He used to, you know, he used to learn a large amount of Kabbalah. His grandfather was a big Chacham in the world of Kabbalah. So um, his father was a very accomplished physicist. Uh, he and two other physicists worked for some DOD stuff. Which Neil told me that they never, the, the government would not, would not allow all three of them to fly in the same plane ever. They never could fly in the same plane. They were too, you know, if something happened, they lose all three at the same time. It was, it was, they, they needed to keep, that's who he was, you know. So by Rabbi Rakach, Daniel Rakach's younger brother's bar mitzvah, David Rakach, they went to Yushalayim for the bar mitzvah. And they went to visit the, the previous rabbi of the, of the Kotel. The previous rabbi of the Kotel was a, a Tunisian Chacham, who was a Talmud of Dr. Rakach's father. So they went to visit this person who was, you know, they were, they were friends. They grew up together, right? And they're having this conversation in French, you know, and Daniel is sitting there listening to his father and his friend, who's the, the rabbi of the, of the, the castle, um, you know, schmoozing. And the, 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 the rabbi of the castle who's this big Swarty Makubal, you know, says, starts asking his father about the properties of a particle in physics. And Daniel says, you know, I've seen my, over the years, my father says, I'm sure what goes on in the, in the, in the lab, I don't know, but when I've seen the conversations, on the, you know, people have my father about physics, my father's never hesitated. He said, my father hesitated before he answered. And this happened twice in the conversation. Then, at the end of the conversation, the Chacham tells Dr. Rakach, he said, 
that you know we discussed this particle today in my Kisya Rizal Shir. That's they walk out, Dr. Rachel turns to Daniel and he says, You should know that that particle is the frontier of physics. It's the frontier of physics. And you should know that was today's shear of, uh, of Kisar Rizal. And tomorrow's shear of Kisar Rizal is beyond the frontier. So he said, What's, What does it mean? He says, The desire, the Kisar Rizal is predicated on the fact that everything that's here in this world is in some way an expression of a Kodesh Boruch. It some way brings covet to Kodesh Boruch, and it has a function. It's necessary to bring that covet. In some way, it's an, in some way we can draw it back and understand how it represents a covet to a Kodesh Boruch. So the, the part of the purpose of desire is to explain every single thing, what its function is. So everything which is real is going to be explained there somewhere, if you know how to find it. Then he says, he says, there are many times when we're discussing things in the lab where we're discussing a certain property of something, he says, I know the answer based on Kabbalah. Because the Kabbalah is explaining what it is, it also explains how, how it functions and how that is relevant to the expression of the covenant of a Kodesh Boruch. But I can't, you know, we haven't done the research yet or the science yet, the, the testing yet. And I said, well, you know, I, I have this intuition that it's going to work out a certain way, etc. Because I would tell my, I know from you know from you know from Kabbalah, like they're going to think I'm out of my rack, you know, out of my mind, you know. These are these are physicists, you know, and and it says it's happened multiple times. Every time I, you know, then they say, "How did you know?" I just a tuition. Like what am I supposed to say? He says, but if 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 the Zayir is doing its job, if the Kabbalah is doing its job, Kizarizal is doing its job, everything which is real is discussed there somewhere. The scientists haven't found it yet. That's their problem. He says, but the, the Robert Akotel, you know, he's going to be talking about tomorrow's year is going to be beyond the frontier of physics. That was what he told us some. Now, you can imagine that sometimes during first Seder, we didn't learn so much because he just he told me his wild stories. Anyway, but um, <laughs> um, yeah. it was, it, we, were, we also, we lived in the same building upstairs and downstairs. I told my wife, I said, you know, one day, listen, one day if you wake up, you look at the one, you see Rabbi, Rabbi Raka hovering in there, don't get nervous. It's just, it's normal, you know, like, you know, like, you know, you know. But for the night, his father was there. I walked on there to say hello, etc. And I walk in, and he says, he says to me, you learn the Zohar of the Parsha every week? I said, no. He says, you have to learn the Zohar of the Parsha every week. Like, like, you know, he was busy learning the Zohar. Like, you know, you know, you remember Cedric, he learned the Zohar of the Parsha every week. You know, like, like this is this physicist, you know. Um, so, uh, he's not alive anymore. So, it's a fascinating thought. What, what the Zohar is really telling me is the Russian created this world for one purpose, to, for Kavod of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that we've come to have greater awareness of him. So the ultimate Kalim one time said it in his own way. He says, all of the Zohar is predicated on one pasuk, Das Elokei Come to know Hashem. So the Torah of Nigla doesn't have that it doesn't happen in a direct fashion, but that much at least it conveys to me that if a person sees this world in the set, in, in the context of sticks and stones, he doesn't really understand the world. Because this world is so much greater than that. 
This world is, is, is everything which is here has a function for a role where the Mashiach is going to come. We're going to see how everything is attributed in some way to the, the, the awareness of the world, which we needed to be able to be, the, the, the Russians should be able to reveal themselves through Mashiach. He says, you look at the Megillah, that's what the Megillah does. The Megillah is multiple stories which seem to be, seem to be this, you know, very practical. There was, there was a, a, a there was a, a, this, this plan, you know, and then they were, it's, he wanted to have a throne, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden you put it all together and there's, there's this gigantic picture. It's, it's revealing a whole new layer of that the Russia was running the world. He says when Mashiach is going to come, all of history of mankind is going to be read like that. It's been a very long Purim day, you know, like reading the Megillah, you know. You're going to be thinking through why did it have to be that, you know, Westphalia, you know, the, the Treaty of Westphalia took place and this and this year. Like, why is that important? Like, without that, this wouldn't have happened. Then this wouldn't have happened. And maybe it, it was it's a vehicle to reveal awareness of Kodesh Baruch Hu, which wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had otherwise. So the, the Torah at least exhorts me to don't stop right here. So see, the, so the Klaiso comes to the Yam. And the, there's a beautiful talk from the Drushers around. The Drushers around says, like, says, it says, already said that they believed. The Parsha and the Parsha, the Parsha comes to Klaiso. So what's this new Amuna? So the the Joshua the Ran, there's multiple, you know, the belt says there's Madrakas in Amuna. He he says a different shot. He says, Mashabeno is the Shtech of Khadashbarku. So you walk into power and you say, demand, it's time for my people to go go. He says, Well, in three days in the midbar, we're gonna come back. What what are you scared of? So they took Mashabeno said, I'm here to be go, Kaya. So they believed. Then he goes to Paro and he tells Paro, you know, we, we, I want a three-day jaunt in the midbar. They're looking like, what? One second. They started getting a little bit nervous. Paro would have been told it's time to, it's time to go, the Ron says. He wouldn't have chased it after them. He wasn't that stupid. Moshe said, we're coming after three days. So, if that's what Kodesh Baruch told him, he's, a lot, he's, a, he's not keeping the mitzvah of Kodesh Baruch so of course I can attack them. He says, and clearly it can't be that that's what God said, but, you know, that God was playing games, because God doesn't play games. So, Moshe Mosheveno wasn't, was coming from his own das, not from a Kodesh Baruch So I can run after him. The final result was that the Mitzrayim, on their own, from their own volition, went into their final demise and their final punishment. They chose punishment. At this moment, when Kaisel chapped, how the Bresham had to do all of that in order to make the Mitzrayim choose, show that at the end of the day they hadn't really hadn't really reformed, they hadn't really come to have a year from Kodesh Baruch They hadn't. Then it's all about themselves, and they would choose their own demise, as it were. That had to happen. Now I understand. Now by So here we see a, a story taking place, which doesn't make any sense to us. We make start making conclusions which are in which and we start wondering, etc. And all of a sudden we get this this vision of understanding, ah, now everything makes sense. So that's the moment of Shira. The moment of Shira is when we realize 
that what everything we're seeing, there's another, there's a backstory, there's a bigger story, there's a whole other purpose, it's a whole other function. So Kleiser responds with saying Shiru. Um, and the final v- verse of the Shiru is Hashem Yimachalam Boed, right? Which means we recognize that this is all that everything which we're, we're, we're experiencing now is a vehicle for me to understand that there's going to be a time where Hashem Yimachalam Boed. And everything in the world is going to be a, a, a vehicle and a marshal to get to that moment. So Christ understood the, the lesson of Shira at that moment. Uh, that was the thought process. A little bit long, little long-winded to get there. Um, let's say I wanted to share, with, share, not share with you, but share with you. Uh, yeah, bad pun, I know, I know. Thank you for listening.